O God, the strength of all who put their trust in you, mercifully accept our prayers, and because in our weakness we can do nothing good without you, give us the help of your grace, that in keeping your commandments we may please you both in will and deed. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. It's been a, a good week. We I'm having to tape this a little bit early because we're going to be out of town for a couple of days. We're going to be out of town actually a couple of days longer than we had originally planned because there's, they're calling for snow here, and I've got to be somewhere to do a family wedding. <laughs> so I've, I've got to get over there and do that. Um, and I want to. I don't want to take any chances, so we're going to go ahead and leave a little bit early, and then we're going to end up staying a day later than we had originally planned on the other end too. So anyway, there you go. So anyways, I had a good week. My back's been bothering me a little bit. I tweaked it uh, maybe ten days ago, and it's been. Uh, it's it's a muscle thing. I need to get some muscle relaxers, but I don't want to go to the doctor and do that. <clears throat> so anyway, whatever. Um, it, it's it's okay. I haven't I hadn't been to the gym this week, but I have been able to do some things workout you know, kind of lightly with bands at home and all that. So it's all good. Um, other than that, just, you know, uh, nothing exciting particularly going on in life right now. Just kind of waiting on the Lord, just just hanging out. Um, but anyway, I, I just, in, in reading that, um, it's interesting because the, that collect says, because in our weakness we can do nothing good without you. Give us the help of your grace, that in keeping your commandments we may please you both in will and deed. It's it's an interesting thought that says, because in our weakness we can do nothing good without you. That's actually one of the things that Anglicans believe, is that before Christ comes into your life, there we don't properly do any works which are considered good. And I can remember teaching that years ago. Um, to a group here in Asheville when we first started the church. I was just taught them through what are known as the Articles of Religion, which are the basic tenets of Anglican faith, or at least they used to be. Um, today, not so much uh, in, in a lot of quarters. I mean, the, the, um, the Church of England this week decided it was okay to bless same-sex marriages. So uh, to say that Anglicans believe um, is an odd idea. Um, but at, at any rate... So this idea of there's no works called good prior to salvation troubled people. I said, what about this? What about that? And they listed some things that were going on in the world. And, and I said, you know, this, see, this is the problem. And the problem is that, that you think you know good. You think you know it. And, and so it, it can look good in your eyes, but God's the one who controls the definition of the word good. And to the extent that it doesn't give glory to him in any way. It's not properly considered good. So uh, I try try to be careful with using that word in general for that very reason. And we're going to see some of that today in the... um, in the in the in all the lessons, honestly, but but particularly in the Deuteronomy lesson, I want you to listen as I read this first part of the first verse we're going to read. It's Deuteronomy thirty verses fifteen to twenty, and, and I want you to hear the first sentence of this and see if if you listen to the words that are used here, see if you can figure out where you first heard these in the Bible. See, I have set before you today life and good, death. And evil. Life and good, death and evil. Where'd you hear those first? Sounds like Genesis 3 kind of language. It sounds like we're talking about tree of life, 
tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, and what is it that Moses has set before them? Well, he set before them his sort of valedictory address, but also the, the laws, the statutes, and the commandments of God. And so, so he has said, I'm setting before you today life and good, death and evil. And then he goes on to explain what he say, means. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and rules. So those three things, or four things. If you obey the commandments of the Lord, if you love the Lord your God, you walk in his ways and you keep his commandments, statutes, and rules, if you do those things, he says, then you'll live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you won't hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you'll surely perish. That, again, language sounds really familiar, right? You will surely die. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Pretty straightforward. Joshua's going to do the same thing at the end of his life. After they've come into the land and, and conquered at least a portion of the land, he's going to lay the same things out before them. And it, it's it, the, those two leaders make very clear at the end of their lives, at the end of their leadership of God's people, what the most important thing is. The most important thing is not the land. The most important thing is not any of the other things there. No, the most important thing is to obey the Lord, to hear his voice and obey his voice, and, and to love him. And so w when we obey, it's an act of love, right? I mean, if I, if I did the things my parents told me to do, then I could have done it out of fear, but really and truly what they wanted me to do was do it out of love. They, they wanted me to love them enough, to trust them enough, to say this would be the best way for things to be. And to obey them was an act of love for them. Now, I didn't do a great job with that. <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you, I was a pain in the neck. I, I was the one who always was kind of testing the boundaries and all that kind of stuff. And, and so it was always a problem. I, I've, I've probably told this story before. I can remember being about six years old, seven, maybe learned to ride a bicycle, and I was really thrilled about it. Our our neighborhood was three streets, you know, sort of side to side to side, with a the between the first and third ones there was a there was a it made a, a semicircle, and my street was the middle street of that, and then it, it the, those streets were very quiet streets and all that, but we we were right on a four lane road that was pretty busy, and so when I learned to ride, I was told that I could ride. Um, in the neighborhood, you know, on, on those three streets, but I was to stay away from the big one. Well, it didn't take long before I decided, you know, it's only, you know, 50 yards or whatever from street one to, to my street on that other street, and, and it would be four or five times as long if I went the other way around, if I stayed in the neighborhood to get home. So I decided, all right, I'll risk it. I'll go that 50 feet or whatever it was, 50 yards, maybe, probably not even that, but maybe. Um, I'll do that instead of going all the way around the long way. Well, guess who got caught? <laughs> and guess who, um, well, let's just say 
my butt didn't want to sit on a bike seat that rest of that day. Um, but but that's the way it, it, it was. I mean, my parents loved me. They wanted me to be safe. You know, but but what we tend to do is we chafe against that kind of authority because we think that that the answer to every question of why is um, because I said so, and that there's no thought that went into the the prohibition, and so that that it, 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 there's something being kept from me. There would be a great joy in riding my bicycle on that road. There'd be great joy in doing something else that I'm prohibited from doing, and that's exactly the attitude that Eve took in the garden. And so she chose wrong because she tro- chose the tree of good and evil rather than the tree of life. And so here Moses says, I'm setting it before you again. There used to be one law, now there's a whole bunch. But, I, but I'm setting these things before you today because the, we, the, a world characterized by sin and fallenness and brokenness requires way more laws than a world without that. And so when he says, I'm, I'm setting this before you today, life and good, death and evil. So he's telling him what good is and what is good. It's God's commandments and obedience to God's commandments is life. So he's affirming that everything God said is good. Now, they said that in the beginning when, they gave, when he gave the first 10 on Sinai. They, they, they were okay with that, but they didn't want to hear any more from God. He scared them. And so they said, so we will do everything God says, and we will listen. So we'll, 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 we'll go ahead and start down the road of obedience, and then we'll just listen as we go along, which was the, exactly what God intended for Adam and Eve. All right, do the things I told you to do, and then as you do that, we'll continue to talk, and I'll tell you the good things. I'll tell you the things to do that will bring more good into your life. But there's other stuff that we, we kind of like, covet, um, whatever, that, that we think might bring more good into our lives, except for the fact that God prohibited those things. But we see it somehow as good. What, what, what the outcome of that will be would be good. It might be pleasure. It might be whatever. But we see it that way, and so we go after that. We, we feel like something good has been withheld from us, that only if we do this thing, then, then we'll have that good. We, we do it in our prayer lives. <laughs> we, we pray for the same thing again and again and again, even when God says no, or at least not now. And, and then we get angry with God, and when we come up with ideas that, well, uh, if I just did this, then he would bring it about. No, God will bring it about. When, if God brings it about, it's when the time is right. Not because you've done 7,000 different things to try and make it so. And it's just as simple as that. And I don't know why we are the way we are. <laughs> you know, I don't know why we're so hard-headed about this. But, but Moses is really straightforward with this. If you obey the commandments by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his commandments, statutes, and rules, then you'll live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in that land. But if your heart turns away, you start worshiping other gods, you will die. You will surely perish. And they're going to perish like Adam and Eve. They're going to perish slowly and then all at once. right? So, so what happens is, is that the first perishing, the first death, is distance from God. And sometimes we're not even aware of it. And yet Adam and Eve were certainly aware of it. But, but there's this distance that we've created with God. And he no longer hears our prayers. He no longer answers our prayers. And we don't realize it, but something is, has died. And then... We, 
we we might still be alive, but at the end of the day, we're not living. We're just existing and we're being. And so he says, you you won't if you do this, you won't live in the land that you're going over to the Jordan to enter and perish. And so they they died slowly and then all at once. And that is that um, that ultimately God's judgment will come, and they're expelled from the land. They lose the temple. That whatever all those things. And so he's offering them very simple choice, right? I mean, if you've got a choice between life and death, it seems pretty simple that you'd say, yep, that's what I want. I want life. But, but he said, and so what does he say? I, I call heaven and earth together to witness against you today that I set these things before you. In other words, I, 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 heaven and earth witness that I did my job. I made it plain for you what was at stake in all of this. And so it's the way that we as pastors, we as Christians need to, to be able to share the gospel and to share the truths that are there. We need to, we need to be clear about these things. And, and today, actually, I just read an article um, that, that I was really shocked, not by the article itself, but by who wrote the article. And, and the article was in, it's on the Gospel Coalition's website, and it's, um, it's written by J.D. Greer who um, used to be the head of the Southern Baptist Convention for a little bit, but it's called Downplaying the Sin of Homosexuality Won't Win the Next Generation. Well, J.D. Greer used to downplay <laughs> that sin pretty much. Um, he ended up having to do a mea culpa, not in this article, but in a podcast, um, that, that he had failed to uphold biblical truth with the idea in mind that, that to offend people was a problem. Now, does that mean you need to be like Westboro Baptist and, and go on and on and on and on and on about this issue? Well, I don't think so, is my response to that. It's, it's not an issue that comes up very often. It comes up in Scripture, and when it does, I don't run from it, don't hide from it. I tell what the exact uh, uh, realities of those things are. But other than that, I don't talk about it. It doesn't come up. It's not part of my life. It's not something that 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 I struggle with. It's not something that people around me are struggling with. And I and I, and I don't get into arguments about it. I don't hate gay people. I mean, it's none of that. No, the loving thing to do is what Moses is saying here is, is that I'm loving you by telling you the truth, by being very clear about the consequences of not doing these things. And and I, and I think. It's out of love. He wants them to succeed. He wants them to persevere. He wants them to be obedient. He doesn't expect it, but <laughs> but he wants it. And, and that's the thing that I think we, we just need to be clear on consequences of disobedience. And, and that's it's as simple as that. And, and Jesus in the gospel today, we're, he's in the, um, the Sermon on the Mount, and so now he's going to talk about different issues that have to do with sin. And he's going to be going to the Ten Commandments to talk about it, right? Because he says, you heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And I've said this before. Jesus talks more about hell than anybody else. Um, so for me to blow it off and say, no, there's universalism, there's no such place as hell, is to say that Jesus was a liar and didn't know what he was talking about. Because he talks about it a lot. <laughs> and he talks about it multiple times right here in the Sermon on the Mount. 
but but it, he's raising the bar, and that's one of the things that, that you should notice here in, in all the teaching that he does here in the Sermon on the Mount is he raises the bar on sin. He doesn't lower the bar at all. And so people who would argue, well, he never said anything about this, that, or the other thing, therefore he was okay with it, did, don't know how to read. There's not a single place in Scripture anywhere where Jesus lowers the bar on sin and says, no, 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 it's not that big a deal. Never does he do that. Here, he says, you know, you've heard it said don't commit murder, and your interpretation of that is, is that, that I haven't killed anybody. And so he, he says, I, I tell you, that that's the wrong standard. That's not God's standard. He, he says, stop it before you even get close to any of that. Don't, don't hate your brother. Don't be angry with your brother even. Don't insult your brother. No, treat him like your brother. And, and he, he says that if you head down that road, it's going to end in a bad place. And, and you could easily say, well, you know, look at Cain and Abel. Look at uh, Jacob and Esau. Look at Joseph and his brothers. I mean, we have story after story after story. You look at um, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. When Aaron and Miriam come and confront him after he married uh, the Egyptian woman, he, he comes in, and, and what happens is they come in, confront him, and say, hey, has God only spoken through you, big boy? And, and God wasn't pleased. And so Miriam ended up with a leprosy and had to be outside the camp for the next seven days. It, this jealousy, this anger, when it can, it, it Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, challenging Moses in the same way. You, you see it again and again and again, and, and it leads into bad places. It may not lead to actually killing somebody, but it certainly leads a long way away from loving. And, and that's the point. Jesus says, you know, these things are checks on, on, on conduct, and, and they look really easy to avoid until you get to covetousness. Um, <laughs> don't covet. Yeah, I, I don't know how to stop that. <laughs> I don't have that. I'm not that good a guy. So, it, but, but here Jesus is saying, he's telling you how to live in light of the commandments. And he says, don't ever even go down that road. Don't go two steps down that road. He says, so if you're offering, here's the, so, so what's the positive side of this, right? So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Well, so what he's saying here is if your brother has something against you, then go be reconciled with him. Well, wait a minute. I, 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 the way I understood this was, was this, that I was supposed to be reconciled with him if he had done something against me. I was to be magnanimous and go to him. No, no, no. True magnanimity is when somebody has something against you to go and be reconciled and make it right. And so there's real magnanimity. You've put your brother, he's what he's saying here is you're putting your brother in a bad place. You're putting him in a place where he's going to sin because he has something against you. And the, and the implication is that it's legitimate. And therefore, you need to go make that right so that your brother won't sin. And so that things won't get worse and worse and worse. And then he goes on to, to talk about it and to say, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser turn you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you'll never get out until you've paid the last penny. And so in both those, the implication is that there's guilt on your part. And if you don't want to be sort of the, the quote, victim of that other person's anger, if you don't want to pay the price for that person's anger, then, then you need to fix it. 
You need to deal with it before it comes down to the time of judgment. Because if your brother runs unchecked, I mean, then if his anger runs unchecked against you, and if you continue to put up these fights, then then things are going to go badly for you, ultimately. But but they'll go badly for your brother. But but they're telling us how to help others avoid this. So we have to be the one to be the peacemaker, and being the peacemaker means that I've got to confess my own guilt in the matter. Um, that's a big deal. That's a very big deal. To do that, and it's rare that people do that. Um, I, I see, you know, lawsuits settled all the time, largely because, well, I don't know what the outcome of this is going to be, and I don't want to roll the dice. Jesus says, you know, you, use a higher standard than that. Use a higher standard. Um, but, but murder, he says, is is the end result of of anger that's gone unchecked and undealt with, and so. I'm responsible for my own anger, but to the extent that I'm responsible for anger you feel, I need to take that responsibility. I need to deal with it in order that he doesn't sin, a brother doesn't sin. So then Jesus goes on to say, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, anyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, does that mean if you're in the gym and you see a good-looking woman that catches, she catches your eye, and and you you see her, notice her, look at her, that, that you've committed adultery? And I, and I think the answer to that is no, because he says lustful intent. So sort of like you're creating a fantasy. You've already, it, it, you don't have to have gone as far as you know, being able to flesh out a fantasy. What you have to do is, is to start thinking about that. You know, if, if somebody catches your eye, that's one thing, but then look away. Stop staring. You know, it's, 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 it's that way, not just in the gym, but, but in all kinds of other places in the world too. Um, it, it's, it, it's something that we, I think, you know, pornography and strip joints and all the drag shows, all the stuff that, that, that is so dominant in the culture today are things that, that lead us down that road. And, and to commit adultery is a sig- significant and serious sin. And so Jesus is, is again, he's, he's putting fences around the law, but these are not wrong fences. What, it, what he's trying to do is, is lovingly stop you <laughs> before you go down the road far enough that you've, you've done this thing, and now you're going to pay the consequences for having done it. Well, deal with it now before you ever let it get that far down the road. And, you know, th- this is not um, mean-tempered, mean-spirited advice by any stretch of the imagination. It's given in love. It's to say, I'd like to prevent you from going there. And so what I'm going to tell you is that's adultery. You committed adultery with her in your heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members, that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. Um, you know, I, the, the problem is, is that I have a mind, and my mind can concoct all kinds of things. E- even if I were blind, <laughs> having seen, I would still be able to come up with um, my own uh, flights of fancy that would be wrong, right? I mean, I, I, I need a lobotomy, ultimately. But what is it that Jesus is saying here? And that is is that, you know, the old standard is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so, you know, if somebody gouged out your eye, then you could, the, the penalty would be one of theirs. If um, the, Same with a tooth, hand, whatever. 
that that was uh, retributive justice. And so it, it was a, a, a parallel. You didn't do any more harm than, than the harm that was done to you. And so what Jesus is saying here, and what he says otherwise, is that, that everybody would go through life you know, blind and maimed if, if we held that out as the actual standard. Jesus says, no, it's, it's about having mercy. That's one of the big things is that forgiveness, mercy, all that stuff. Um, but what he says is apply that same standard to yourself, right? So if your eye offends you, then gouge it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. He, he's using the principle of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Just be ruthless, he says, about sin in your life. Be ruthless about it. Don't allow it to have a foothold at all. Deal with it in its infancy. And then goes on to say, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let, her, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And so that comes from uh, Leviticus. And that's still the process in Judaism today. I'm not going to get into that whole process, but, but a certificate of divorce would, would be to say, I'm putting you away as my wife. I'm cutting you loose. He said, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus is saying this thing, you might recognize it in your counsel, you might recognize this as, as a proper divorce, quote-unquote. That's not the way it's, it, it's seen in heaven at all. You know, that, that's a powerful, powerful statement, is, is that, that what you do on earth doesn't affect heaven. You, you don't get to bind things and loose things like this because God had already laid out the standard for marriage. And, and he says, unless it's sexual immorality, then you're making her commit adultery. Well, that sounds like an odd way of saying it, but the reality is, is that, that a, a divorced woman would have been a financial burden that, and it would put her into an incredibly financially vulnerable and otherwise vulnerable too, uh, set of circumstances. And so by what, what does it mean to make her commit adultery? Well, she's got to get a husband. And, and he says that, that if, if, if it's not for sexual immorality purposes that you give her the certificate of divorce, that, that you make her commit adultery, then, then it's on you. I, I see, all these things that he's talking about, it, he's, he's pointing back to your responsibility for other people's sin. Because he says, you make her commit adultery. He tells you to make things right with your brother. If, you've got, if you know that your brother has something against you, then, then make it right with him before you come to the altar. That's, that's more important because God's not going to accept your gift if you're at odds with your brothers. And so he, he's, he's trying to, pre- to help you prevent that brother from committing that sin of murder, that sin of hatred, that sin of anger against you. And so with all these things, he's, he's trying to say, you know, don't cause others to stumble. And so here it's he makes I make her commit adultery by forcing her into a situation where she is going to need to get remarried. And he says, unless it's unless you divorced her for reason of, of sexual immorality, then then you have actually caused her to commit adultery. And so your sin is as bad as hers. You're responsible for committing adultery yourself. And he says, then whoever marries that divorced woman also commits adultery. And, and so what is he saying is, is that what he's saying is don't get divorced, right? I mean, it's, it couldn't be simpler than that. It's sort of like when he, when he says don't uh, hate your enemies, love your enemies. Instead, he's saying don't have enemies. So here he's saying don't hate, 
Don't be angry. Don't let your anger run. I mean, you can, it can flare because things happen, but don't let it go. Pay attention to it. Stop it in its tracks. Do the same thing with lust, he says. He said, then again, you've heard it said that those of old, don't swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. But I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it's the city of the great king. And don't take an oath by your head, for you can't make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So Jesus vows and oaths are a big deal. I've mentioned this in the daily podcast because I had to deal with this just very recently. And and what I said was is that you know I had to look at these various categories of vows and oaths for about I don't know 120 days or so because there's so much in the Mishnah and the Talmud about taking oaths. It, 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 apparently, I mean, people just would take these things, um, but Jesus says, don't do this. Don't do that because you're bound by those things. Just say yes or no and be who you're supposed to be. And and he's trying to prevent us and keep us from sin because if we fail to keep that vow or oath, it's, it, under the law, it's a sin. So he says, just don't do it at all. It's, I mean, it's as simple as that. In the uh, epistle today, in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 9, Paul says, But I, brothers, couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. And remember what we talked about last week was that he was saying, Look, you know, I came to you with a simple, straightforward message of Christ and him crucified. Because I had to. Because I couldn't speak to you at a level higher than that. And, and so I, I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I had to give you the plain basics of the gospel message. You weren't prepared to hear any more than that. And what he's getting ready to say is, I don't, still don't think you are. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. Because he says there was deeper stuff to know. But you weren't ready for that. Even now, he says, you're not ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, you're, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Jealousy and strife, doesn't that go back to Cain and Abel as well? Doesn't it go back to that whole uh, angry with the brother, insulting the brother? It, all those things. Paul's talking about, when he talks about jealousy and strife, he's talking about this very issue. He's talking about there's quarrels among you, and it's be, why? Why do they do this? He says, well, there's, uh, when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? And he's exactly right, because we're getting it wrong. And I see this all the time. I, there's a guy that I know that has judged all kinds of people because of what they make of Joel Osteen or Joseph Prince or whatever. I'm not sure that guy's a Christian because he doesn't like the favorite people that I have. Oh, go away. You're, you're, you're a Corinthian. That's exactly what it is. But, we, but I see this all the time. You know, I hear it. Well, I, I worry about that guy because he doesn't like my favorite person. Well, no. <laughs> Everybody's not going to like the same people. And, 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 I, and I'm going to leave my, my words in my mouth <laughs> about those first two people. But at any rate, that it's, it's, a, it, it's the problem always in the church. It can be a problem of you don't like the same person I like, but it could also be is that I really don't like the person you like. 
You know, I don't like that guy. Well, that could be just jealousy. I mean, I see you see that all the time. You, you see it in clergy. I know that. I are one. I'm jealous of what you have. You're jealous of what I have. And we can't just tend to our knitting and be happy with what we have, what God has given us. And so we have to throw off on other ministry. We have to throw off on other people. Uh, and and it's, it's just a serious problem. And, I, and I've watched people protect their territory. You know, I, I watched it in, in a church that I served in before where we, we had two different kinds of services. And the person who mostly led the, the, one of those was very protective, talked about his people. Didn't didn't want too much crossover between the two, and, and it's just there's always this this jealousy and, and envy, and and guarding what we have. Well, everything we have is gift of God, and and Paul says as long as you're doing this, as long as you're trying to say I follow Paul and another Apollos, then you have a problem, and you're not ready for anything more. You need to stop following Paul and Apollos. You need to start following Jesus. If I didn't say it clearly, I'll say it again, basically, is what Paul's saying, is is that stop following me. I'm trying to point you to Jesus, the guy I'm following. He's the one that we all need to follow. As then he goes on to say, what then is Apollos, and what's Paul? Servants. Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I'm not jealous of what he has. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So, neither he who plants nor waters is anything. Only God who gives the growth. I mean, it's all wasted labor unless God does something. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. All the, Moses, Paul, Apollos, all of them, just pointing to one thing. Just just keep his commandments. Live your life according to what God says, and it will go well with you. But the problem is we can't keep focused on those things because we're going to do these things like jealousy and all that. Jesus is telling us how to live. Deal with sin at the very beginning. Don't let it go any further. Is there any question that if we follow that, our lives will be better? We'll make far fewer mistakes. We'll spend way more time being joyful, happy, and out doing the things we were intended to do rather than being huddled up crying and complaining and whining to other people and talking about other people. Man, if I, if I made that much change in my own life and you made that much change in your own life and, and we never talked bad about other people again, then, man, we could change the world over time. As people began to get that message, then, then we would change and the world would change and people would think differently about Christians and then they would think differently about their Christ. And so we've got to get better at keeping the main thing the main thing. We can't hear God's voice. We can't obey God's voice if we never listen. We've got to be in the Word. We've got to be in prayer. When we talk to our friends and uh, neighbors who are Christians, we need to be able to talk about these things with them. We can learn from one another. We can build on that, and then we can be accountable to one another. I'm first accountable to myself, not to let my anger run, not to let lust run, not to let all those things happen. But then ultimately, I should be accountable to you. If you see me letting that thing go, then then you need to stop me. You need to move me in a different direction. Say, John, you know, I've heard you say this a lot. I'm concerned about that. 
I'm concerned about where that goes and where it leads. And, and so what we have to do then is just keep the main thing the main thing. Keep focused on Jesus. Don't allow sin to have any kind of foothold in our lives. To accept that God's will for us is best and good and life and embrace it. Embrace it with all our hearts, soul, strength, and mind. And then do those things because he first loved us. And what we do then is a reflection of our love for the one who first loved us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.